state elections, local elections, the elections that are down ballot, that people don't pay attention to, I think, nearly enough, that are going to end up protecting or not protecting our right to have abortion and like bodily autonomy and privacy. Welcome to the Ronan Project podcast, a show about Asian Americans in politics, rocking the boat, breaking the rules and taking on the big fights. I'm your host, Bill Wong. Buckle up, it's time for Ronan's to roll program. Hello, Ronan Nation. I've got some more political badasses on the podcast for you today. I'm so excited to have Lala Wu and Maria Oyama Leninger on today's show. Lala Wu is the executive director of Sister District. She has successfully led the expansion of the organization's volunteer infrastructure to 50,000 members and over 150 chapters in 31 states. Since its founding in 2016, Sister District has raised over $3.6 million in small-dollar donations directly to candidates and reached out to over 3.1 million voters through doors, calls, texts, and postcards on behalf of over 100 state legislative candidates in key swing districts. She also leads strategic partnerships with local and national organizations such as the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, Emily's List, Human Rights Campaign, and Vote Save America. Maria Oyama Leninger is the Regional Political Director for the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee. Maria oversees the committee's work in 10 states to win, expand, and protect Democratic majorities. Her extensive electoral experience includes serving as Washington State Director for Senator Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign and Political Director for three U.S. Representatives, Susan Delbeni, Kim Schreier, and Adam Smith. She also served as Voter Protection Director at the Washington State Democratic Party, as political consultant for clients across the country at every level, and as District Director for Congresswoman Kim Schreier. When I was Political Director for the California Assembly Democrats, Maria was my fiendishly formidable political co-conspirator. Hi, ladies. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Let's get right into the topic of the day, the political impact of Supreme Court reversal of Roe v. Wade. What's clear is that the short-term fight to protect access to safe and legal abortions has now shifted to the states, and that's why control of state legislatures and gubernatorial races will be so important this cycle. So what is the lay of land and where will the big fights be? Let's start with Maria and then we'll go to Lala. If we really look at it, Roe has always been with the state. I think it was a bit of a shared delusion that we had that this was safe at the federal level. But since 73, Republicans have made this their thing to get rid of the right to a safe and legal abortion at the federal level. So this has always been with the states, I think. You know, currently 22 states protect in some way the right to have an abortion. But importantly, three of these states, it's protected by constitutional amendment. So this can be changed. But what we also I think need to pay attention to is states where judges are elected, because judges, like we saw in Georgia, are overturning injunctions that are protecting the right to abortion, even for a short period of time. So I think it's these state elections, local elections, the elections that are down ballot, that people don't pay attention to I think nearly enough that are going to end up protecting or not protecting our right to have abortion and like bodily autonomy and privacy. Yeah, that's right. And I just wanted to underline what Maria said about how while Roe fell and it was extremely devastating, access was already very unequal and the AAPIs in particular faced particular obstacles in obtaining abortions. 
AAPIs, for example, are overrepresented in low-wage jobs. They often speak a different language at home. Something like 66% of Asian Americans and 30% of Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders speak a different language at home. Six of 10 AAPI are immigrants. 16% are undocumented, which means that, especially now, if you have to travel out of state, it's very, very perilous for people to seek that kind of care. And there are also, I mean, it depends on the subcultures as well, but there's a lot of cultural stigma that AAPIs face. And so all of these things existed before Roe, and now that Roe has fallen, it's all of these are just compounded. And exactly as you said, DLCC and Sister District, our whole goal is to build democratic power in state legislatures. And we do so because we understand the outsized impact that they have on every issue that we care about. It's not just abortion, it's also guns, climate, education, democracy itself these days, right? Which we can get into, maybe it's a bonus episode if we have time. All of the action is going to happen in the states. And these are exactly as Maria said, unfortunately, races that don't get enough attention, whether it's from voters themselves or from donors or from volunteers. And so what we're trying to do, our collective organization efforts are trying to change that. We're trying to shine a light on these very, very critical races because it's where all of the action is. You know, the estimate was that after Roe fell, abortion was going to be effectively banned immediately or almost immediately in about 26 states. And we can see abortion access falling in state after state already. And there are a few states that are hanging on a thread like Arizona or Michigan, and the fights are ongoing there, but we don't know how they're going to turn out. But what we do know is that if we build majorities, if we flip seats, um, if we can get these majorities in state legislatures, and then we can cement these wins, we can protect and even expand abortion access. There are so many Asian American candidates out there. In fact, uh, what had happened was I made a donation to Yuli New, who's running for state Senate in New York, and then she pivoted over to Congress. So I made a donation to her congressional, but then she had to return the state money. And when I got the return of the state money, I also got a, an email from sister district saying, hey, protect Roe, these are our five states. And I noticed that on the five states you could contribute to, two of the candidates were Asian. I think Michelle Al in Georgia and a South Asian candidate somewhere else. Arvin Venkat in Pennsylvania, that's right. Right. I'm a rage donor, so immediately pivoted over there and was so happy to be able to donate to legislative seed. Can you guys talk about how hard it is for legislative candidates to get support? Because Congress is sexy. Everybody donates across state lines for congressional races because they get a lot more play. But what's it like for the legislative candidates that are out there? If, if I could just cut in and just talk about how amazing those candidates are. Senator Michelle Au in the Georgia House was the first API woman to serve in the Georgia Senate. Unfortunately, she was gerrymandered out of her Senate district, but she still wants to serve her community. So she's running for the House. Now, she's a doctor and has been an outspoken, really powerful voice for abortion access. And, you know, Georgia is one of these places that has a six-week ban now that Roe has fallen. And a six-week ban is effectively an abortion ban. You don't actually get pregnant until week two, a very strange way that we calculate how long you've been pregnant. But that's basically no time at all. It's the same kind of ban we saw in Texas. So she's an amazing candidate. And Arvin Venkat is also a doctor. He's running for the Pennsylvania House. He's a challenger. 
His parents immigrated from India. He would be the only South Asian in the Pennsylvania legislature. And he knows firsthand about what happens when the state government doesn't adequately resource medical issues and things can be a matter of life and death. And he's done a lot to advocate even in his role, you know, just as a doctor for expansion and access to emergency services. So the question that you had was, you know, is it hard for these candidates to get attention? And Yes. I mean, just look at Amy Amy McGrath, for example, who raised $91 million for a completely unwinnable Senate seat. And, you know, for the rage donators out there, I totally get it. There can be a way that it is helpful for to be like, well, I want to stick it to Mitch McConnell. And that's great. I totally respect that. But your money can go so much further when you donate down ballot. And these races, instead of millions and millions of dollars, these races are $100,000, $200,000. We've at Sister District have supported races that are $40,000 and have no staff. So these are not only inexpensive races, but they're also close races. And so, for example, last year, we supported 12 races in Virginia. Five of them were decided by 821 votes or fewer. So really, really close margins. And what we need to be doing is focusing on these places that are true battlegrounds where your dollars, your hours, your time can make a difference. Absolutely. And when you brought up Amy McGrath, it was just like, exactly, right? She raised, I have no idea, like close to $100 million for something that we all knew this wasn't going to happen. Like, stop trying to make Amy McGrath happen. Like she had a cool ad and that is, that's awesome. Good for her. I think they did a great job on that. But in 2020, the DLCC's total raised, and it was the most we'd ever raised, the most we'd ever spent was $50 million, $51 million, something like that. And we're acting all over the country, helping state legislative candidates everywhere. In 2020, the New Mexico House ousted a couple of anti-choice Democrats, and that's why abortion is safe in New Mexico now, right? And these races take a fraction of the money, but it is so hard to break into the national conversation, particularly if you don't look like what people, you know, people's heuristic of a politician looks like. And for a lot of AAPIs, I think that we don't fit into that model of somebody who is in politics. And that's a huge problem. And I think it's something that needs to change, particularly in states all across the South and the West where Asian Americans are making up a bigger and bigger part of the population. In some ways, we as the community have to do better in doing like what you did, Bill, and turning around and supporting other Asian candidates who are down ballot. But also our political systems, I think, need to do a better job in staffing and at organizations. Lala, you probably felt this too. Like, I am the only Asian in, like, most rooms, which is a little Mm -hmm. ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. No, that's exactly right. And there are a lot of stereotypes about Asians that we are all well off, that we are the model minority, that we are passive, that we're not involved, that we're conservative, right? And the truth is that APIs are not a monolith. And I think that this is kind of a good opportunity to highlight how important 
data is and how important it is to disaggregate data about AAPIs. AAPIs as a whole, they really support abortion. Something like seven out of 10 AAPIs support abortion. But actually when you disaggregate that number, it's something close to 80% of Japanese are supportive of abortion, but only like 31% of Vietnamese, you know, because of cultural and religious differences. So at the very least, you know, what this means is that we really need not only different languages to reach out to different audiences, but we need different messages. And we need to do more to understand um, what's going on uh, in all of our communities and so that we can, uh, like I said, provide the best messages and also fight misinformation and disinformation um, that spreads on different types of channels. Uh, there's a lot of specific channels of social media that uh, connect APIs uh, to each other in particular. And so I just want to give a shout out to the API Victory Alliance, of which I'm on the board, and they've been doing some really awesome work trying to make the voter file better also around APIs because it is so incredibly bad. I mean, there are millions of people who are, for example, labeled API and they're actually black or vice versa. And if we don't have the data, no amount of messaging or targeting is going to be helpful because we need the data to be good so that we can reach our audiences. Because what we need to do here is we need to build power day in, day out, led by community organizers. And then we need to turn that into electoral power. Uh, and so we need to mobilize and persuade and get people out to vote so that we can win these democratic majorities in state houses and up and down the ballot to get the policies that we want. It's like a salmon ladder too. You know, it was particularly a proud moment of me to see Judy Chu out there, uh, one authoring the Women's Health Protection Act and also getting arrested in civil disobedience. But she started in the state legislature. B. Wynn started in the state legislature. Yuli New started in the state legislature. So if we can get them into state legislatures, that proves their chances of moving on to Congress and moving on to higher offices where they're going to have a massive amount of impact. For example, Jill Takuda was Senate Majority Leader in Hawaii, and now she's running for Hawaii Congressional District 2. So investing early and playing long game is super helpful for us. And you know, speaking of amazing people in politics, you two are awesome operatives, and it's inspiring to see you know so many Asian American women, particularly at the forefront of American politics. Can you guys talk about your journey, what kind of challenges there still are in what is pretty much a male and white dominated industry? Thank you for the question. And, you know, as Maria was saying, a lot of times we are the only Asian person in the room. And I think that that's not the way that it should be. We need to see um, representation at all levels, uh, at our organizations, in our elected offices, in the media, I mean, everywhere. Representation is so important because it helps us understand the world that we live in and understand what's possible. And so I'm really proud that I am the first uh, Asian American and the first woman of color to lead this organization, Sister District. And what I really try to bring to this leadership is to really infuse and be intentional about racial equity and diversity in the substantive work that we do. Sister District, of course, really focuses on close, winnable districts in where we can make a difference in these battleground states, particularly this battleground democ democracy battlegrounds this year. But we also know that we need to be intentional in building a reflective democracy so that all the voices that need to be at the table are at the table. So I really try to bring that um, intentionality to our substantive work. And then I also try to make our organization a really great place to be. We have to reflect our own values. Thinking about um, racial equity, 
having those conversations a lot, having them in everything that we do and making sure that we are able to attract and retain great talent so that there are opportunities for people of all stripes to be at organizations like ours. I think that's so important to have people want to stay at an organization, creating a culture that folks who maybe haven't been in these spaces feel comfortable in. You know, it wasn't until I started managing and hiring that I started bringing in Asian Americans, Native Americans, folks who are not like your typical cishet white male into these campaigns and then mentoring them to stay in and get them jobs and really help them do that. I benefited from mentors, but also I have a white last name. That made people when they saw me on email, you know, maybe made them more amenable to talking to me. And I don't really think that that is, that's right. So I wanted to be a mentor to a lot of people. And I think that we need more Asian American operatives to be thinking critically about how to bring in the next generation, you know, because it's important, even if I'm the only Asian at the table in let's say direct mail, that will probably because I would stop it, stop uh, mail going out that's like, do you care about honor and family? Vote for so-and-so, <laughs> right? You know, something completely ridiculous like that. I think it's important, even if we are the only people at the table who are not cishet white males, it's important for us to be there, but it's also equally important for us to bring up the next generation. The tributes to something that Lala said earlier about, you know, having this data and having this knowledge and applying it because we could have it and we could hand it off to somebody else, but they're not going to execute it. So when you hand it off to somebody like Juju Chu or B Win, they in intrinsically know what it means and why it's important. And then they're in a position to force the issue. Whereas we sometimes what I felt in my career is, is that I would hand it off and then it would fall into some black box somewhere and never, never see the light of day and then feel really defeated. But when you're having that conversation with actually somebody who's a decision maker at the table or who can follow it through, then it's so much more effective and, and more rewarding to be able to do that. And, and you feel like you're actually having some impact. I think Asian Americans right now, outside of the electeds and us that are practitioners, are struggling to embrace a coherent political identity and engage the process in a more impactful manner. I mean, we've had Asian American hate. We have all these types of things that, that keep happening to us as a community. What do you think we can do or need to do in order to bridge that gap so that we can take our place in the arena of politics? I mean, that's a great question. And I think it's a complex one because in so many ways, we are, you know, one community, but in a lot, I mean, in a more realistic way, we are hundreds of different communities, both regionally, ethnically, linguistically. One of the issues is honestly, like trying to lump all of us into AAPI, right? I am mixed race, half Japanese. My dad lives in Japan. I have had a significantly different experience than among refugee who came to the United States and as a refugee, a significantly different experience. And yet we are in the same box. We are treated by the government and by voter files as exactly the same. And I just, I think that that is, that is just not the reality of the situation. I think we need to build power, but I think we need to 
come up with better language, come up with better data, come up with better everything to actually talk about the issues that impact specific communities. And that's going to be, I think, easier said than done. I totally agree. I mean, I think it's something like APIs are 50 distinct ethnic groups and Mm -hmm. speak over a hundred languages or something like that. And so that's exactly right, Maria. I mean, we're not a monolith. And I think the first step to building political power is recognizing that. And, you know, it's not unique to AAPIs. Among Latinos and Hispanics became famously after the 2020 election, very clear that disaggregating data there too was also really important because Cubans and Puerto Ricans and Mexicans are not all the same. I mean, they have different kind of cultural backgrounds and affinities. Same with Black Americans, right? There are recent African immigrants who don't necessarily share the same experiences or politics. And so, you know, different messages are necessary a real, a true understanding of the diversity of our communities is very, very important to kind of overcome the simplistic understanding. I think that's the first step. And then, you know, we just need more people coming in as operatives, as electeds, as candidates, as activists, all of these levels of engagement are critical to have our voices in there. Fantastic. I'm going to put all of the information to contact the DLCC or sister district in the show notes. As we sign off, any last words of encouragement for the Ronin Nation out there? I just want to underline that it really comes down to electoral power. Can we flex our power at the ballot box? And APIs are the fastest growing segment of the electorate. And we were so key, especially in swing states, for winning the election for Biden. And we need to remember that and because we're not being treated that way right now. And so we need to stand up for our own power and embrace that. And the first place to do it is at the ballot box. I totally agree with that. I mean, to add on, I think we also need to be at the table, even if it's as a volunteer on a campaign that you care about for a candidate that you care about in a race where, you know, maybe they're not going to win. That's maybe not the point. We need to be at the table. We need to be operatives. We need to be represented at every single level, not just at the top of the ticket. We got to be there because we are an important part of this country. And I think that we need our voices heard a lot more than they currently are. And if you want to volunteer, Sister District provides a super easy on-ramp to get involved in these state races. Check out DLCC too. So come on down. We would love to have you. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being guests on the Ronan Project podcast. Such a fascinating conversation today. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening in Ronin Nation. If you are inspired by the exploits of the amazing Asian American badasses on the Ronin Project podcast and want to find out how you can learn more about politics or help Asian American candidates, click on the link in the show notes to join the Ronin Nation's national progressive movement to inspire, organize, and empower Asian Americans. Until next time, Ronin's Roll Program. <laughs>